Huge thank you and shout out to NGBN TV for sponsoring this video podcast episode. On today's episode, we have Deneen Joyner back in a coaching episode. She goes through unresolved family pain on my paternal side, told me I'm a black sheep, a rebel who calls bullshit, healing wounds, memories, and my duality in everything. Welcome to the Naked Podcaster today. I'm so excited. I'm doing a coaching episode with Deneen Joyner. Deneen, how are you today? I'm wonderful, my dear, and you? I'm so excited to be here with you. I've been really looking forward to this. Coaching means I have no idea what the hell's coming, and it's super fun and exciting. And so I want you to jump in and tell us about the soul reading and about your website and about you, and then you hijack me. I'd love to. So we are doing a soul reading, and a soul reading specifically deals with family karma. It, it, it actually identifies individual family karma. It also looks at soul wounds, which are the result of this family karma. Then we also look at soul lessons, which are lessons that we need to master relating to our soul wounds so that we can heal and elevate to more consciousness and hopefully that it will actually recalibrate us so that we can actually fulfill our purpose and our holy assignment, which is the real and true reason we are here. So a soul reading becomes a blueprint for anyone who wants to actually embark upon a self-healing journey. The practices that I use are all stemming from my bloodline, which has everything to do with Native American culture and Nigerian culture. So both sides of my family, both maternal and paternal, were highly gifted healers. I knew some of this, but I didn't know the extent of it until I actually did my own healing journey. So all of what I am actually offering to you this morning and also to the clients that I actually do soul readings and private coaching for is stemming from all of what I uncovered during my journey as well as the gifts that now are fully activated because I have healed and cleared my soul. So what we're going to be doing this morning is very exciting um, on a number of different levels because I'm assuming that you have been doing some work clearly. However, you probably am not maybe able to put labels on when I say family karma and when I say soul wounds and soul lessons. You probably know of some of them. However, this morning is really gonna just frame everything nicely. It's gonna give you labels, and then you'll be able to take this information and, and actually do with it what you will. And I hope that what you will do with it is again what most of my clients do, which is basically to become curious about your life in a way that you haven't before. So I'm ready to just jump in and do this soul reading. Um, and I also, of course, would later like to just outline a little bit um, as it becomes more relevant as far as how people could get a soul reading and how they could privately coach with me later on, if that's okay with you. I would love that. And I want you to show your website. I mean, we have your information from your original interview, but yeah. and all, all of the contact information is going to be in the show notes to get in touch with you. But yes, you know, I'm all about shameless self-promotion and now people get to see you coaching. Yeah. So I, I have a statement and a question. The statement is you asked for my mother's maiden name and my father's name. And 
I remember distinctly, because it's been a little while, but I gave you my mom's name and I gave you my dad's name. And I was like, wow, it was really hard for me to even say do his that. name and give you his name. Right. I really do not like my father. He was one of the meanest people I've ever known. And so that was just a statement that's interesting. And I don't know if it will tie in in any way. It does. And I'm sure. <laughs> Damage. <laughs> But I want people to know that, that all, that's all I had to do. All I had to do was give you my mom's full name, maiden name, and my dad's name. And I, I, it was physically, I felt it physically in my body when I gave you his name and you wrote it down. I was like, whew, I don't yeah. want to give you that information. Yeah. I, I was, remember. Yeah. I remember. And I'm glad that you're bringing that up. Stop right there. Hopefully you won't lose the other part. So I, this is really, really valuable for your listeners to understand um, the soul rating. Cause I kind of like take my process for granted cause I'm just used to doing it. But you're exactly right, Jen. So in order to do a soul rating, those are the only two things that I ask of the person. Um, and you don't have to be connected like you and I are. You actually would physically just go on my website under soul rating and actually click on soul rating and it actually takes you to a page that asks you those two questions. You pay for it and then you wait three days after that and depending on my availability with my schedule and then we actually do the soul rating like we are now. It's done via Zoom um, and before the world shut down I was actually able to do it in person um, via on location under my on location services. There are people who really like the you know the in-person and so they, you know, I've, I've traveled distances to actually do soul readings in purpose in person. So that still is an option for people if they prefer the one-on-one -on -one intimate setting of a soul reading. And I do too. Um, however, Zoom's the next best thing. And so primarily that's how I've been offering the soul readings and also my private coaching. So getting back to your statement about that's all you had to supply to me. So how is it that that's all you had to supply to me? It's because of my channeling ability, okay? So I'm able to channel. So what that means is actually because I'm connected to spirit world and I'm actually fully engaged and activated with my gifts, I am able to actually bring in information concerning you. So before this process started, I actually meditated and prayed on your behalf. And so during that meditation, I'm actually inviting in all of your divine energies. And that means your ancestors, that means your spirit guides, that means your angels. And that also means any other divine forces that are willing and able to step forth on your behalf to shed enlightenment for your personal evolution and growth. Because the spirit world knows who I am they know that I can hear ancestors. That is my one of my main spiritual gifts is that not only can I hear my ancestors, but I can hear yours and everyone else's. So I hear them, okay? I invite them in. They're, they know that I, you know, that I mean well, that I'm here to help and serve on earth. And so they step forth and they will share and enlighten me so that I can share and enlighten you. Yay. Okay. I'm glad that you talked about that. And I knew that information beforehand, but yes, that was great. And I, I love also that you said earlier that you'll, it will give a label to what I kind of feel, but I can't recognize or pinpoint. It's very peripheral for me. Yes. 
Right. And so it, it's awesome that it doesn't have to be so peripheral anymore. So that's mm -hmm. very cool. I want you to just tie in Christianity because I know you're a God girl. Yes. So a lot of times when people hear this stuff, they're like, it's so woo woo and it's yes. not yeah. right. But yeah. it's bigger for, I mean, it's, that's not the case. We can use words that like spirit or source or, um, you know, whatever word fits for you, but I, can you tie that in for me? Sure. Well, for me, um, again, so I'm, I'm coming from two distinct cultures. The Native American culture is tied to my maternal, my mother's side. And so my mother was my primary caretaker. So therefore, that's mainly where all of my values, beliefs, responses, and things come from. Okay, because my father was very distant, was in and out of our home until he finally just left and he abandoned me when I was seven. So he was not in my life. However, he was in my sister's. I'm the baby of the family, daughter number seven. And so he was in everyone else's life but mine. So I really didn't have that relationship with him. So my mother primarily raised me. So that's where all of my beliefs and things come from. My mother was a Christian woman. Most Native American people practice Christianity, okay? But there's room, there's room. So it's not like a very staunch, you know, you know, dogma, we only do this and that. No, there was, you know, clearly um, more spirituality with Native American people than there was per se religion, okay? When we say God, we reference the Great Spirit. Okay, and the Great Spirit is all-knowing, you know, um, and, and just like, you know, it's the same. It's the same as when you say God, that's what we're thinking of when we say God. Mm -hmm. Even though they say Great Spirit, that's what they're referencing, okay, because to them, that is it. There is no other. It's the Great Spirit. Uh, because we all are spirits, whether we realize that or not. We really are spiritual beings, but we've forgotten that. And so when we say great spirit, then we know that this person is over all spirits. Thank you for clarifying <laughs> that. Yes. Because yes, I knew that about you, but I wanted to just make that clarification. Okay, jump in, hijack me. <laughs> just see that on, let's go. <laughs> okay, so Jen, I want you to know, we're gonna start with family karma. Okay, and I want you to, to know how this primarily works when it comes to soul readings, okay? So, as I mentioned, I invite in and I enlist their help, spirit help, divine help, and I say, how can I best help Jen? You tell me what it is that we need to uncover and discover for her during this soul reading. And, and so when we say family karma, just again for your listening audience, um, I want you to know that family karma could mean a number of different things. They primarily are the basically the unresolved pain that a family has that is basically underlying and it's also invisible and it's also acceptable. So when we think of family karma, we can think of maybe a string of divorces. Nobody in a family has stayed divorced. We might even think about, um, you know, cancer. So there's health issues. There's been, you know, a string of cancer that has run rampant in this family. We can think of incarcerations. 
there's, you know, men and women who've been incarcerated in this family. Um, you know, so we could think of abandonment, nobody stays around, maybe the father never stays, or maybe the mother never stays. And then we also could also look at basically a father wound or a mother wound. And we'll get to that in a minute, what that actually means. So that would, those are just examples of what family karma could look like in any family. And it's things that are acceptable. Like I said, nobody really looks at it. They know it's there, but nobody really has ever taken the opportunity to really investigate it as to why is there such a string of things that have carried forth generation to generation. So I'm going to start with your family karma. The family karma that came through the strongest was your paternal, which means your father's side of the family. Now, it doesn't mean that you don't have maternal family karma. It just means the paternal outweighed the maternal. Okay. And that's what came through. Usually what happens during these soul readings is the thing that we need to look at the most is the thing that comes up. So right now we're looking at paternal, your paternal ancestor. So this is the things that have carried on generation to generation. Some of these things you may be aware of, some of them you might not be. The first thing that came through was that the karma is depression and anxiety. There also was abuse. This could be verbal and or physical. I actually resonated with the verbal more so than physical, but we can talk about that in a minute. There was also denial, meaning denial of truths, things that were actually occurring that were wrong in the family, basically sweeping things under the rug. When I say denial, that's what I'm meaning. There was, that's the culture, that's the generational karma that's been on your paternal side, that there is denial of things denial of truths. There has been a lot of emotional discord, a lack and disconnection of love, expression of love, able to emote feelings. And then the last that came through was that there was an issue with communication. And that kind of ties into, again, the emotional discord, not being able to emote not being able to show and express easily. That would tie into communication for sure. Because if you're not able to emote, if you're not able to express yourself in that way, then clearly you're shut down and you can't communicate. So let's stop there and let's see if any of these things have, are resonating with you as that you could, and we're just focusing right now on dad's side of the family. Just think about your dad, your own relationship with him and what you saw when you were growing up, does any of these things fit? Yeah, actually, um, I never met anyone on my father's side of the family. He was really embarrassed of them. Okay. So I grew up in Rhode Island. They were all from Fayetteville, Arkansas, and there was almost no discussion about them. He was really embarrassed about them, and he didn't want me to know a lot about them, but I did learn some things. Okay. Um, there's a lot of, like his father, according to the information I got, my paternal grandfather um, sexually abused a lot of his grandkids. Okay. 
so as far as sweeping it under the rug, when I was going through infertility, I, that's when I started reaching out to that side of the family to see if there was anything, like I don't have medical history on my father's side of the family. So that was when I started reaching out to them and women did not talk about that. I knew that every woman in the family pretty much had had a hysterectomy in their thirties, but not, there was no reason why. Right. They, they do not talk about this stuff. Yeah. So the sweeping under the rug. Yeah. Because I think there was a lot, there's a like rampant alcoholism. So I don't know about depression and anxiety. Um, I do know that there was a lot of abuse. A lot was physical. I don't know if it was verbal more. I mean, like, I really don't have much of a sure. to my father's sure. life. What I thought was interesting is that my father is one of the meanest people I've ever met, but yet he was embarrassed about his side of the family and me meeting them because they were such horrible people. Mm -hmm. And I was like, dude, have you not looked in the mirror? Yeah. So yeah. I think as far as a disconnect or emotional discord, my father was perpetuating his family legacy of abuse and alcoholism. Yes. Um, but, but didn't real, I mean, didn't connect with the fact that he was doing the exact same stuff. He hated them. That's for. right. That's right. Right. And, yeah. and as far as the, like no expressions of love or communication or discord. I mean, like I tried to reach out to these people that I did not know. And I was a family member and I was really, really, it was, a uh, going through infertility was a stressful, emotional time in my life. And I wanted to have, get information and connection sure. and it was not there. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, I, I mean, I think, uh, for the most part on his side of the family, it's just a complete disconnect. Mm -hmm. And then I, when I couldn't get that connection or just information, just give me information. Um, I just, I, I, it was like, um, no harm, no foul. I, I didn't lose anything cause I didn't have right. a connection before, but I also knew like that was not where I was going to get any kind of connection or information. Yes. Yes. I get what so, you're saying for sure. So yes. I disconnected from even trying. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. that makes sense too, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I get that. So, so this is really going to be really helpful for you because you just expressed that you didn't have a relationship with this side of the family. So you therefore really don't have much to go on except for what you saw in your father. And that's enough for sure. Right. You know, so what, what I have described to you is, is very, you know, um, it, it, it really is telling. And what you just described about how your father is, and we'll get into even more about that in a minute, about his upbringing, because that actually came through. So it'll give you more of a picture of how he grew up. The thing that I wanna say to you right now, Jen, moving forward is um, what I tell all of my clients when I do soul readings and when I do privately coaching with them, is that from this point forward, all of the information that I will sh be sharing with you no longer has a blame, shame, or judgment to it. We are really just using this information for you to be able to understand who you are, how you came to be, and who your teachers were. Your teachers are your mother and your father, okay? So we're not using it to judge them. We're using it for our own education at this point, because now I want you to actually embrace yourself and to actually start to look at your life 
as though you are a student of your life. So any information that you get, any information, you're only using it for that purposes only so that you can examine it, that you can start to correlate, okay, that's why I'm this way, that's why I'm not that way, and that's why they were that way. So there's no shame, no blame, no judgment. It's really just we're collecting information, we're sifting through it, and we're putting it in piles so that we can understand how we came to be. Great, awesome. Okay. So I wanna share a little bit about your dad and how he grew up, okay? So this was the, the dynamics of his family. Okay, he grew up in a very abusive home, extremely abusive. It was very cold and distant and chaotic. It was not your typical parent-child relationship at all. There was no nurturing. There was none of that at all. Your father felt like he was a burden, often felt like he was a burden. So he did not feel loved. He did not feel safe and secure. Um, and he, he really did not have anyone that he could find solace in or that he could find comfort in or, or any of that. He was subjected to this most his life, most his childhood he was. Um, and because of that, um, he grew numb. So he learned how to cope. And his way of coping in that type of dynamic was to shut down. And that's what most of us do. That is a safety measure. And it's something that happens instinctively. It's not anything that most people will resign to doing. They, they just tell themselves, okay, I'm shutting down so that I don't feel the pain. I'm shutting down so that I don't feel loved. I'm shutting down so that I don't see what's going on around me, which is pretty crazy. Most of us don't do that consciously. It's an unconscious safety thing that happens. We may, as we go through our childhood, we may, from time to time, say to ourselves, you know, I don't feel safe, I don't feel, and so I don't really want to feel this. We may say those things from time to time, but there's not really a conscious agreement is what I'm saying. And so this was the way that your dad was able to basically get through his childhood, was to become disconnected and numb. So because of that, because of that right there, I just want you to now, and then also later, once we, we end our soul reading session today, I would really like for you to just take some time to journal on that piece right there of uncovering how your father grew up as a child. I want you really to think about him as a little boy and not as a dad. I want you to think about him being a child and being subjected to those conditions that I just mentioned um, and see if you're able to find a, a level of compassion for that child, the child that's not your dad yet, but that he's a little boy and that he's in a, a very tumultuous situation out of his control and that he didn't feel loved, that he was never given love, he was never told that he was loved and that there was nothing but abuse that actually surrounded him. So I'd like for you later on to actually just try to take some time to actually just feel into that and actually journal about that little boy. And now what we're gonna do is actually move into, as a result of that, now I want you 
to understand how your family dynamics, so the childhood that you grew up in, came to be. Because primarily what you actually were privy to while you were growing up, your whole emotional framework, your family dynamics were coming from your dad. Your dad was the primary and he was the strong, um, his characteristics, his karma is what pulled through. So that is your experience. I'm not saying that your mom, like I said initially, that your mom didn't have some of her own, because she did. However, in this session, this is, this is what pulled through, was your dad's. I want you to know that your mom was a co-conspirator to this. So when I say that, I mean that she was a silent witness. She was a silent partner to your dad's um, volatile, you know, emotions, explosive, his, you know, his being. She basically co-signed that. She didn't stop him. And, and so we can talk about that um, a little bit more now because that's what really came through, that he was very controlling. And that, like you said, when you said that he was a mean person, I get that for sure. Very, you know, just, just very, his emotions were just like really, really dark. And that, you know, again, if we can correlate to what I just described, this little boy, who's now a man, then you can kind of start to understand how he came to be. So can we talk a little bit about your family dynamics? And when I said about your mom being basically like a co-conspirator, can you tell me a little bit about your mom? Yeah, my parents divorced when I was six and my dad moved to a different state. So from the time I was six until he died, I saw him, I think it was only six times. I saw my father only six times from, yeah. When I wrote my book, I had to figure that out. And I was actually surprised. It seemed like a lot more mm -hmm. because he was, but it was mostly phone calls. And um, as far as my mom being a co-conspirator, when I really, really dug in and had to investigate my childhood and write about it, that dysfunction, she specifically wasn't was rarely abusive. I mean, I think if I had grown up in a different situation, um, she could have been a really good mom. Yeah. I think she she went from one abusive relationship to the next. And in her words, she said to me once, um, I, I allowed myself to be in very dangerous situations, which in turn put my sister and I in very dangerous situations. So... Uh, the abuse didn't come directly from my mom. It came from her allowing it. That's right. That's right. So that's what we mean by co-conspirator, that she yeah. didn't intervene. So yes. No, she did not. And I think it's interesting because I have a recollection of her talking about, and I know both my parents came from very abusive situations, and I understand mm -hmm. that. And, at, and after 15 years of foster care, it was me trying to take these, these kids like myself and like my parents and change change that narrative for them because I do understand that my issue with that is still in allowing those situations to happen knowing that they're wrong because mm -hmm. my parents knew what they felt like as those little kids going through those abusive situations mm -hmm. so when a child of abuse and dysfunction becomes the perpetrator of abuse and dysfunction they perpetuate that cycle 
I struggle with that. Yes, I understand where you came from, and I have a tremendous amount of compassion from where my parents came from. It does not excuse the fact that they still allowed it to occur. They knew what it felt like and allowed it. Or my father was the one being abusive. My mother was the one allowing those dangerous mm -hmm. situations. She was the co-conspirator, knowing how it felt as a child. Mm -hmm. So I think my anger or frustration or disconnect with them is has been understanding them from the child perspective and then understanding how it carried through in the adult and then they did it anyway mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so i remember my mom saying that her dad was really abusive and that her mother allowed it to happen okay see so we can see that karma right my dad said my father was this horrible person for doing this and then did those things yes they perpetuated those cycles they allowed them to happen um, so, yes, I do understand that, and she was a co-conspirator, and not as much maybe, I think, just in her personality she was. With my yeah. dad, it was mostly phone conversations, and in her defense, those times that I saw my father, uh, one of them I was an adult. I was about 22. I had a one-year-old daughter myself. And I stopped and saw him for just a couple of hours um, when I was driving through the area. But prior to that, the other five, you know, one was in high school, one was in junior high school. I think she was trying to, in her own way, not keep my father from me or to see the good in him and try to help foster that relationship. There was no reason that she would have ever not wanted me to talk to him on the phone yeah, sure. he was he was super abusive on the phone and she didn't realize that but she was doing the right thing by allowing us to attempt a relationship sure. so sure it's interesting with my dad she may have been a co-conspirator but i mean i really see her in her defense and i'm shocked at this because i wouldn't have thought <laughs> yes yes and yes. my mother but she was actually trying to do the right thing sure. by her kids and allowing that relationship mm -hmm. Sure, sure, I get that. I do, I do. It and was let me terrible, just, but yeah. Yeah, I get what you're saying. And let me just say this um, quickly because you you raise a very valid point that most people will raise um, when it comes to just trying to wrap your mind around, as you stated, they came from similar backgrounds, therefore they perpetuated it with me. So how is it that, you know, basically they get a pass? So this is what I will say to you. Okay, so there are people, and I know you know this, there, there are people who will remain numb to their life, their whole entire life. They know things happen and that's all they do is know them. They don't act upon them. They don't heal them. They don't examine them. Then there are people like you and I, who are the black sheep of the family, who because of our, um, you know, our, our being an empath, because we feel so deeply, not only do we feel our own stuff, we feel other people's, you know, that's not a mistake. That wasn't an accident that you, out of everybody else in your family, have always been the most sensitive to what's been going on, okay? It's because of that sensitivity, because of those gifts that are in you that make you different than everybody else. That's why you're a black sheep, because you don't fit in. Thank God. <laughs> right? So because of that, because we don't fit in, 
there is something inside of us that will not rest with what everybody else seems to be okay with. So your dad and your mom were not a black sheep. If they were a black sheep, then your whole family dynamic would have been different. Do you understand that? Mm -hmm. If it would have been your mom, if your mom was a black sheep, she wouldn't have been the co-conspirator. She would have been telling your dad, uh-uh, <laughs> you're not doing this to my kids. You're not going to raise your voice around. You get what I'm saying? If, yeah, had, yeah. if your dad had been the black sheep, then you wouldn't have been subjected to any of what I described to you. And you wouldn't have felt the, the, the hate that he was angry, that he was mean, that he, all the things that you have mentioned, you wouldn't have, you wouldn't have, you would have known he was a work in progress, but he wasn't the right. black sheep. He wasn't the black sheep either, but you are. Well, that's a good thing. Yeah. And I mean, you know, in, I know as a side note, my kids came forward five and a half years ago and said that my ex-husband, um, their dad was being abusive to them and mm -hmm. that day they didn't go back and and you know 16 days later i was in court okay i i was an advocate see and that's what i'm talking about right I, you and, have that right. you have that firing you you know you know when when you you know what i mean you call bullshit you know when it's right not so only was i i wasn't going to perpetuate any of the cycle See? I was also going to protect them from that. That's right. Protected. That's and right. We're limited in that area, but I think, you know, that's, yeah. Anyway, keep, you keep going. Okay. But no, that's good. It's yeah, good. It is good. And I've known that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I, I had to come to terms at some point with the fact that I can be compassionate for the child in my parent and I can be pissed at their adult behavior. Yeah. I mean, as an adult, I'm, I mean, I'm turning 50 this year. I understand they were trying to live their story at the same time they're trying to raise parents because I, we, we all are doing that and kids don't understand that. So right. even in my adult self, I can look back and there is an amount of compassion or forgiveness to a point. Yeah, right. That's right. And then, and then the line is, the line is drawn That's right. for me. That's right. That's right. But yeah, I get it. But still, that yeah. is not an excuse or justification right. for you That's to right. continue perpetuating. That's so, right. So, yes, yes. They definitely were perpetuating. And I knew that. There was a certain mm -hmm. point in my life that, not as a young kid, but there was a certain point in my life as a, as a teenager or a young adult that I understood that, but it didn't excuse it. Yeah, sure. Yeah, it doesn't take it doesn't take the pain, and you know, it doesn't make it any less for no. sure. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I get that. I get that. Okay, so we're going to now move into more so things about you. Oh, all right. <laughs> so as a result, right? As a result of all of this, the family karma, the family dynamics that you grew up in basically what came in was who you are how you came to be as a result of all of this and so i already touched on it you're a black sheep for sure you're the black black sheep of the family you're also a rebel for sure rebel rebel all day long it's like mm -mm. like i said you you call bullshit and you're like look you can't tell me it's red when i know that it's purple you can try but I ain't buying it. And you'll stand up for yourself. Like you are gutsy. Like you are like, you know, 
you got this like fire inside you and it's just like it's beautiful it's beautiful that you have this rebel spirit i wish more people had a rebel spirit you know you have that you go against the grain you don't care if everybody's if 500 people are going that way and jen is like look it's this way guess what jen's going this way uh -huh. <laughs> right? you're like you don't have to be with the pack i mean you know what i mean if that's what their conviction is it doesn't have to be yours you're like no i'll chart my own course You also, let me see here. It's so funny because sometimes I can't read my own writing because I'm it's being channeled and I'm trying to hurry up. It's like they're dictating to me. I'm like, oh yeah, what I like. You know, okay. And also what came through was that because of all of the what I just described about you, it wasn't easy getting to be this rebel. You really paid a big price emotionally in going against the grain, against the pack. You really did. And I want you to be able to, at some point, honor that. Honor what you have sacrificed. Honor what it created in you and for you to be able to say, no, no, I'm not doing what everybody else has done in this family. It has to be different. And I'm going to be that difference, and I'm going to make it different. It's not easy to do that. I know that you know that, but I want you to be able to honor that. I want you really to be able to honor that, Jen, because this is huge. For you to be able to say, I can't perpetuate this. I won't perpetuate this. This will not be my children's life. It will not. That's huge. That's huge. Yes. So you went you went above and beyond to to you know to basically work on that and to remove yourself from that you know that dynamic to break that mold finally you have vowed to be emotionally present loving and kind to your children you literally want to mother the world <laughs> well that explains mom of 18 doesn't it i mean like <laughs> when they told me that i was like okay yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like, i wonder if she knows that <laughs> It's like, I'm like, we, we find my family, my kids and I always like stray animals attract themselves to us, you know? And I, I used to just joke, like, it just needs a mom and some love. That's all. Like, just that dog just needs a mom and some love. And so, yeah, it's, I know, I it's, know. Like an, it's almost an illness. So yes. But you know what, hey, hey, you know what? There's worse things that you could have, right? Yeah. Yeah. A lot worse. Yeah. Yes, I do. I think the world needs to be mothered for sure. Yeah, yeah. But you know, I mean, seriously, I can't. I can't think of a better person to do it. Oh, thank you. You're welcome. I'm trying. I'm failing you, forward. I'm giving you a virtual hug right now. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So now we're going to move into some little deeper things. Okay. Because again, we're looking at the family karma that we mentioned, we're looking at the family dynamic that you grew up in. So now what happens as a result of the karma and the dynamic that you grew up in, now it actually starts to create soul wounds, okay? The soul wounds are the things that actually were created, like I said, as a result of the circumstances that you grew up in. 
They're not things that we consciously select. They just are. They happen. It's just like if you were to, you know, bump into something and you bruised your knee, then you're going to have that bruise until it heals, right? And so if you don't care for it, if you have, if it becomes a gash or infected, if you don't do something to actually make it healthy, then it's going to actually continue to get worse. So when we think of soul wounds, I want you to think about that. That's basically how it happens. And it's really uh, unknowing and unconscious thing. And so because we don't seek the health, which is the healing and acknowledgement that it desires, then what happens is it just basically remains there until we actually can give it a name. So I want to tell you what your soul wounds are, and then I'm going to actually um, kind of rewind a little bit and tell you what, what it kind of looks like in, in your world. Okay, so your soul wounds um, have, are basically blame. Okay, so there might be instances where you feel like you unconsciously blame yourself for things. It, oh, okay. could, it could be tied to your upbringing, your parents. And then also you tend to also blame your parents and or others for things. We'll get into this in a minute. So blame is that. Then, then also one of your wounds is that you have an aversion to authority. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, didn't mean to choke on that one. Okay. Mm. Yes. I okay. Do. Yes. And then um, also, this is a, a, good, a big one too, under wounds, control. So this is a real tricky one for most people, okay? So people who have the control wound, they avoid situations and or emotions that make them feel out of control. Okay. So there are scenarios possibly that are second nature to you where you always feel like you need to be the one who does the initiation of things or that you, um, that, you know, just, just, it could be small tasks, it could be large ones, but you feel like you, you need to, you know, you need to be the one who basically can, can just make sure that it's this way or that way, because you don't necessarily want to be at somebody else's mercy. Not that you don't trust per se, but you don't like that really. You really don't like surprises. I'm not talking about good surprises. I'm talking about surprises that take you off your mark okay so these are the things that came up and then also let me see here judgment was another one judgment can be judgment of yourself judgment of others and then this also was an interesting one when it came to just and I don't really know how to like describe this but how they how they showed me was that again, when it came to your family, like you, you, like you really struggle with finding any fond memories. Mm. And we'll, we'll revisit all of this in one second. Well, maybe we won't, maybe we'll just start there and I'll, and I'll go back to a couple other things I have. So let's just kind of break these down for a little bit. 
and you tell me if any of this resonates with you. Let's talk, let's start with the, with the blame, the blame wound. Do you well, feel- my parents, Yeah, when my parents divorced at six, I thought it was my fault. I was the oldest of two kids. I was six years old. That's super, super common with kids that age. Like if I had been better, if I had been a yes. good girl, you know. Yes. Um, and I know that that's, and kids are not good at expressing, like I didn't, you can't say- no. Hey, by the way, I'm feeling like I'm blaming myself for this. You know what? We don't have, you don't have the vocabulary or the skills, right? So yes, I thought it was my fault. And um, kids don't understand the big picture. We don't have life experience. So that was the first time I blamed myself. Um, And then in, uh, that has carried through in, other relationships if a relationship fails Mm -hmm. no that's Mm -hmm. I used to say that's my biggest failure I felt a lot of shame around that and even though well and I took the blame because I initiated the divorce for example Mm -hmm. like things things were going to shit in the relationship and I want to work on them I want to work on them I want to work on them until I am exhausted trying to make things work um not that I'm any hero, maybe I'm not doing it well or right, or I'm trying too hard. I mean, there's all kinds of stuff, stuff that goes in that. But I know that in every situation, retrospectively, I know that I did everything that I could mm-hmm. to make the, that relationship successful. And in the end, every single time, I pull the plug. And I, have, I know I have said, I don't care if I have to take the blame for this relationship ending because I've done everything that I can. So if that makes everybody feel better that I'm taking the blame for right. it, I'm the one that initiated the divorce. I'm the one that packed my shit and left. Yes. I felt like, I'm like, I'm strong enough to take that burden. I don't care mm-hmm. because this is a, this is a, it's dead. This is yes. done. And yes. I'm just the only one that's going to admit it. And I'm not willing to stay in a situation. Oh no, I've long blamed you. I, I am not willing to right. stay in a situation that I have tried and tried and tried and tried to the best of my ability. And like, we're talking therapy and church yes. and like whatever it takes Yes. for a year, for longer. Like it didn't go to shit yesterday and I'm out today. It went right. to shit a couple of years ago. Sure. sure. I stood up for myself a year ago. And now I'm done. So yes. I have no problem taking the blame mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. I think that that's a bullshit thing that we say. Mm-hmm. If that makes the other person, but yeah, that word comes up a lot. And I think I've just felt like when I was a kid, I wasn't strong enough to take the blame and it sure. wasn't my blame to carry. And mm. eventually you go through the process and realize that. But in my future adult self, I knew that didn't bother me. Mm-hmm. It didn't bother me at all to take the blame yeah. because I think that that's misguided. And if other people need that in order to feel okay about yeah, themselves, right, right. cool. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that definitely, um, I'm not sure about blaming others. Yeah. I think that people don't, I would have to say blame is a strong word. It is. I felt shame that I couldn't do more. Mm-hmm. Um, even if I felt like I'd done everything I could, that there wasn't something more I could have done to have things end differently, not just in relationships, but in life in general. I try really, really, really hard. Um, blame is tough, but I don't think people take the responsibility. I think if we all sat down, like 
just in the situation of my dad and my mom and I, and you could throw my sister in there too. Like if the four of us had to sit down and have a conversation of whose ownership or responsibility was that part, um, I know that the blame isn't all mine. And I right. know that placing the blame on someone else isn't the right way to do it either. I think right. when things get hard, we don't shoulder the responsibility yes. the way it should be. That's right. And so I struggle with that. Yes. But in that, I'm okay with my part. Okay. Well, that's good. That's a good thing. You know? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, you're right. Exactly right. And I think what they were really alluding to here, you know, was, you know, you, you have the tendency to, you know, own your part, of course, which is more than most people will, but also just recognizing, like you said, the, the role that other people play. Not necessarily so that you're pointing the finger, look at you, you did da 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 da, but just basically just saying it wasn't just me. There were other yep. players here. What did they add to this dynamic? What did they, you know, and even if they can't own it, it's okay. Just the fact that you're able to decipher yep. what each person did, you know, and, and just realizing that, okay, you know, there there definitely was four players here. Mm-hmm. It yeah, wasn't, whatever it wasn't just Jen. No. No, and that's, I think that carried forward into my relations when there's relationships, when there's two of us and it's not going well. If you need me to take all the blame for that, yeah. cool, because I know that that's BS. I yeah. know that that's, but yeah. if that makes you feel better and mm -hmm. I can just be the pretend bad guy, I don't care. Yeah. I'm still not going to put up with anything. So, right. I'm, I'm cool shouldering the blame too, because I yeah. think that that's an illusion. So that's where I'm at with blame. Okay. Now what about this aversion to authority? Cause you laughed when I said it. <laughs> oh, I just, uh... what'd you say? How long do we have? <laughs> no, no, you know what? Here's the thing. I lived in Alaska for 10 years and it was my favorite place to live because the government let the people make the choice. So it's not about me thinking I'm right and authority is not right. It's about distributing authority in a way that the system works better as a whole, whether that's politically or religiously or in my family or it doesn't matter. I, I know that we all have our own zone of genius. So I want the authority in, yeah. in, in that department that be their zone of genius. So it's not as much about me and I don't want to be the authority in every way. I don't think I'm right. I think I'm one perception and it's not my zone of genius. Mm -hmm. So I'll give a silly example. I love doing races for running. Okay. So someone asked me several years ago, well, why don't you be a race director? Oh, uh-uh, not my zone of genius. <laughs> okay, so I don't have a problem with the person who is being a race director and I wouldn't mind being on the committee to make it better but I don't want to be the race director, if sure, that makes sure. sense. So I'm super cool with people being in authority as long as they're the person that that's their zone of genius, I guess. Yeah, yeah. And I think when, when this was said to me, you know, that you have, you know, an aversion to authority, it came to me more so, of course, related to your dad, the role that he played over your life, controlling, your life in, in, in the vein that he did when he was there. 
And so you may be unconsciously, and I'm not necessarily talking about what you just described, but there may be instances, and I just want you to just like be mindful and see. Yeah. Um, there may be instances where, you know, where there might be a scenario where it's not necessarily as cut and dry as what you just described. It's somebody, you know, is, is the authority over a certain thing. It might be, you know, it might even be in your relationship with your husband. So maybe he says, you know, whatever, he wants to do this. And, you know, like as a family, I want us to, I want you to check in with that and find out what does that feel like when he possibly takes a step upwards versus a step back and lets you basically rule the roost. What would that look like if he did say, no, this is how we're going to do it. And, and that's it. What, what would that do? And I'm not saying there won't be dialogue, but what I'm saying is how would Jen feel, you know, if your husband basically just took the Tarzan approach and said, Jen, we're doing it this way and that's it. Like we're doing it this way, you know? So that's what I was thinking when they said authority and aversion okay. is that I want you to be mindful of scenarios because they're not always like that, which you right. just described with the, you know, with the running. It could be something as subtle, but not so subtle as, oh, I don't like, you know, I don't like that tone. Or I don't like, you know, I don't, oh, who do you think you are telling me? I want you to check in. Okay. We have conversations about this, actually, and I think he should be more like that. Mm -hmm. I think when a man leads his family in a way that's righteous and compassionate and empathetic, it is the most beautiful balance. Isn't it? <laughs> I agree. I agree. As hell. So we actually have conversations like that. So yeah. I love that. Yeah, but I do have to check. Yeah, it's that whole but if you're doing it in a way that's not righteous and compassionate and empathetic, then I definitely would have a problem with it. Yeah, see, I, I, it's a it's a check in with me. It I is. Check in with that. It is. And it's so when it's not that way, when it's not the righteous and compassionate, then I still want you to check in and say, okay, here it is. This is just as a trigger. Because there's triggers yeah. to our wounds. We're talking about your wounds. So that could be a trigger right there. Yeah, absolutely. Back to little Jen. Yeah, it, ha it has been a trigger. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. Okay. So what I'm going to do is, because I know I mentioned other things, but for time's sake, I want to just kind of jump ahead to um, basically, you know, again, things that kind of came through, flowed through, that I really want you to be, you know, aware of. And and for you, and I thought this was really interesting. I have to say that um, when I received this information, it was like really cool. You, 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 you have um, what I would call it, it's it's a duality playing out in your life that really is the foundation for all of the lessons that you need to be mindful of and you need to master so that you can start healing at a deeper level, gaining more consciousness and awareness about your wounds, your karma and all of that good stuff. Um, I've never had it happen like that where there was a foundation set ahead and then everything just basically builds on that. So if you can be mindful that there's always for you a duality to everything in your life, which is pretty much the, the case for all of us. But what I'm saying is for you in particular, your guides, your ancestors said, 
We want her to know about duality. We want her to know that there's light and that there's darkness to her. And that if she can stay balanced, she's gonna do a lot better. She can't have too much of something this way or too much of anything this way, because that's when she's gonna feel off. Mm -hmm. We need to have her here at all times. Okay. So they mentioned that they want you to be more conscious. They want you to, to gain more consciousness. This will greatly help you with seeing things for what they are and ensuring that you have that balance in all areas of your life. They want you to be mindful of your shadow and light forces and how they play out in your life. They also wanted you to be aware of sacrificing too much. They want you to find a balance between sacrifice versus empowerment. When they said that to me, it, it, it felt like they, they see you doing, doing, doing for other people when they can do it for themselves. And they want you to check that. Okay. When you're able to set somebody up to do it, then that's empowerment. You're basically saying, I trust that you could do this task. I trust that you can do whatever, but I'm not going to do it for you. So they want you to watch that because you can become very overwhelmed in sacrificing and doing for other people when they can do it for themselves. And that includes your children. Mm -hmm. They want you to find balance versus overgiving. Is there anything you want to say about what I what I just said to you, even though that was a mouthful? <laughs> um, I don't know how to gain more consciousness, and mm -hmm. I believe a hundred percent in duality in everyone. Yes. But um, there, yeah, I mean, there's nothing about that that I disagree with, except. Yeah. And my kids were actually the first thing that came to mind in when they can do something for themselves. I try very, very. I am good at getting stuff done. That doesn't mean that I need to be doing it. Right. That's right. That's right. That's right. So and I do, yeah, I do try to be mindful that I don't need to do all the things. Yeah. Because you're going to get overwhelmed if you're not already and exhausted. And we'll talk about that in, in a moment. But, okay. you know, you when you're talking about, you know, you don't know how to become more conscious of, of certain things, it really will come. Your consciousness will come once you start to seek balance okay. every day. And everything that you're doing that you're that you're conscious to that goal right there that I'm going to make sure that I'm not over giving that I'm not sacrificing beyond what I should be doing putting different boundaries and limitations on what you normally would do it's going to actually increase your consciousness because you're not going to be distracted in doing all the other things you normally do so it's not going to be that automatic pilot situation because you're actually saying to yourself every day and sometimes every moment that, okay, I need to reel back in because I'm feeling off. I need to be here. And what can bring me here? And you already know what you usually do in a given day. And you pretty much will know what needs to stop 
so that it'll bring you in some more balance. And when you're in balance, then, then that's when the consciousness elevates because now you're free and you're open and you're aware and you know what's going on here. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I thought this was interesting. One of the things that I also do is that I will ask your guides if there are any of your chakras that are blocked. Oh, I love that. Yeah. So lay it on me. Yeah, I know, right? Just quickly again for your listeners, um, chakras, and I would invite for them to actually look up what chakras are if they don't know what they are. But there are seven energy portals that are actually placed throughout our body, um, and they're invisible. And they actually keep us connected to spirit world, okay? So when you hear people, such as myself, say that we are spiritual beings, it is true. We are. We're spiritual beings. We just happen to be here in earthly form. But how we stay connected to source, to God, to great spirit, is through these energy portals that are uniquely placed strategically throughout our body. So look up chakras and you'll learn more. For you, my dear, when I asked were any of your chakras blocked, and this is a temporary block. It doesn't mean that it's a lifetime block. You won't be able to unblock it, but this is what came through, was that your third eye is blocked. Oh, really? Your third eye, of course, is intuition and wisdom. Okay, so basically um, this, this could mean a number of different things. Um, you know, it, it, it lends to basically really just looking into being motivated more so by truth, being motivated more so by divine will versus our own will. So making sure that we're, again, consciously aware of we're not coming from a place of our will versus over the will. So if we can, you know, actually just meditate, we'll actually help with that. Meditation, Reiki, basically inviting in those divine energies daily and saying, okay, you know, I give you permission to be um, a part of this day. I ask for your guidance. You know, please show me anything that, you know, that I need to be mindful of. Please order my steps, all of those things. So when you are able to do that every day, when you can invite them in every day and ask them to be your guide throughout the day, then they will do that. And then you for sure will know that you are not using your will versus theirs. There may be times throughout the day just because we're used to really just, you know, giving into our own will versus what we're supposed to be doing. Then you can actually just check in and activate it again and just say, I need you. I need you. I want to make sure that I'm doing what it is that I'm supposed to be doing. And they will let you know, you will feel it. You'll either feel like, okay, yeah, I wasn't supposed to be doing that. And I didn't think I was supposed to, but <laughs> now I know. Or you can just say, okay, cool. That was just validation. I'm on the right path. I'm moving on with my day. But you can definitely do meditation and Reiki. Reiki will actually reset that and clear your, your third eye. More sleep. With a mom of 18, yeah, right, huh? Sleep. I love sleep. Of your diet, you know, taking in more natural nutrients and green vegetables and things of that nature, water. And then also doing just affirmations, almost like what I just said, you know, before you start your meditation that, you know, you want to make sure that you are going to be basically mindful of um, your duality, that you're going to be, you know, your goal is to stay centered, 
that you don't want to be, you know, out of balance and that you want them to basically guide you throughout your day and you're willing and open to doing that. Do you have any questions of me so far? No, I'm, I am enjoying this. I like oh, good, listening to this. Good, good, great. Okay. Now we're going to get into your soul lessons and then I'm going to actually share with you who I believe came through on your behalf and, and actually shared some enlightenment for you moving forward. Okay. Okay. So your soul lessons, those are the things that are actually related to your soul wounds that we talked about just a minute ago. And they're also related to your family karma. So these are things that are actually proponents to healing your soul. If you can be mindful of them, and I also want to let you know that they are likened to a life test, meaning you will have a scenario that will show up in your life that will be reminiscent of one or all of these things. And if you're conscious and aware of them, then you'll know that they actually are one of your soul lessons and you'll be more likely to respond to it in a way that actually promotes healing. Whenever a lesson is actually presented to us, more than less, we're not even aware of it because we're living our life. But these lessons have been presented to you a gazillion times over. Okay. And so because you're not aware of, again, you didn't know what your wounds were, you didn't know what your karma was, and you also didn't know what your lessons are, they just kind of went over your head. Sometimes you mastered them, sometimes you didn't. But now my hope for you is now that you will have language to describe exactly what your soul lessons are, that you'll be more open and aware to when scenarios are presented to you for healing's sake, that you will actually respond in a way that actually will engage you to higher evolution. Your soul lessons are forgiveness, okay. gratitude, patience, Peace. Those are things you don't pray for because then you'll get trials. <laughs> Never also, pray for patience. <laughs> you, you have been, you said? No, like you never pray for those oh, okay. things. Then you get, God's <laughs> like, I want to teach you patience. Yeah. Yeah, well, that's it, you know, and of course, like, I, and I also added this to your lesson was duality, that duality okay. that kept coming up, that just kept coming up. So add that as your soul lesson as well. Okay. And that duality, like I said, just speaks to your conscious awareness of not, that's right, not going over, but staying yeah. here and being mindful that you do have some dark shadow. We all do. We all have those dark shadows, which are connected to our karma and our wounds for sure. Um, but they present us with the opportunity to be mindful and we can actually heal them if we don't stuff them down and if we don't say, no, I don't have any dark forces. We know we have them, but we're aware of them and we know that they create opportunities for healing. So for yours, like I said, you have the duality, forgiveness, gratitude, patience, and peace. I think they're all pretty much self-explanatory where, you know, where, where you're concerned and where, you know, where we've been in this session. And so I think that you would definitely know um, scenarios that actually presented themselves that actually would give you the opportunity to be mindful of these things. Yep. Okay. 
Do you have any questions to me before I move into the final stage, which is that um, just the, the messages that came through um, for your enlightenment from a dearly departed person? No, I don't have any questions so far. You're right. It's pretty self-explanatory. Okay. Yeah. Wonderful. Yeah. Okay. This, I'm, I'm very curious about this part. Okay. So this, yeah. So I thought, especially with the conversation we just had about you not having any communication, any relationship with your dad's side of family. This is really interesting. And I don't know if you would actually know her name, but it's tied to your dad's side of the family. The person who came through, I believe is either his mother or his mother's mother. So it was a grandma figure or a great grandma. Okay. Do you know either of their names? They won't tell me their name, but if I say their name and I say, is your name, then they usually will validate for me. So if you know their I, names, you can even tell me later if you don't remember. I don't remember and I know I have it written down because cool. I did some genealogy and I would think it was his, I mean, if I had to guess, it would be his mother's mother. That's who I, I think it is. It is, because I just got, it's her. Find okay. out what her name is, because she just told okay. me she's here. She's here right now. So okay. it is, it's your paternal grandma, great grandma. My mother told me really wonderful things about her. Well, no wonder she came through. No, yeah. Well, yeah. listen, let me just tell you this, okay? okay. She is your main guide. And that means that she is assigned to you over your life. She's been witnessing everything, okay? And she knows even at her death, she gets basically, when she goes to heaven, goes back to spirit world, they basically, it's almost like a, it's almost like a whole movie of your life. She's caught up. She knows what happened to little Jen all the way up to now. So she's very well versed on your life. And now that she is your main guide, Basically, she is actually the witness too. And she also has a stake in your healing because she knows that you not only need to heal yourself, but now you, you actually have the probability of healing the family karma attached to her family. Okay. So that's why you're the black sheep. So the black sheep ultimately becomes the chosen one. Oh, okay. So you've right. been chosen, you've been chosen, whether you step up and do it or not, but you've been chosen to not only heal your life, but to heal the bloodline of your father's family. No big task, right? It's like no pressure. Yeah, no big task. They, I think they called her grandma Fredericks. Okay. I, I, I know the information's in my brain. I cannot. You'll get it. You'll get it. I will. I will. I have it written down. Yeah. You, you, I want you to text me or whatever later. But she yeah. already told me it's her. It's her. So we yeah, just, yeah, yeah. We just want to know her name. But it's her. Okay? So she, I want you to know this, if I don't tell you anything else about um, your great-grandma and her role with you every day. <clears throat> if you want her help, and I, and I, and I believe you do because she... She would not have this role. People who become main guides, who are family members, it's not an easy task to be a main guide, okay? There's a whole initiation ceremony that happens in order for her to become your guide. However, she obviously went through what she needed to to order to be your main guide. Given all that, I want you to know that you have 
such a divine force with you because she is your main guy that you can invite her in every day and she will be there with you. Right now she's here, but she's only witnessing. She's not guiding, she's only witnessing. And that's what happens with guides, all of them, but especially main guides. If you don't invite them in because there are spirits who are very, um, they're very reserved, respectful of free will. So if you don't ask them to come in your life every day, you gotta do it every day. It's not a okay. one and done situation. What happened yesterday happened yesterday. If you invite them in yesterday and you don't invite them in today, then that means you don't want their help today. That's what they look at it as. And they'll okay. just, she'll just look over you and witness, okay? Doesn't mean that she won't keep you out of harm's way. But what I'm saying is in your evolution and your healing, if you don't invite her in every day to help you, she won't come. So it'll be important for you to do that. This is her message to you. Okay. She knows you have what it takes to heal yourself and the family. You are tough, but you also must learn to be soft and vulnerable. She wants you to allow others to care for you. She also said that you are not very trusting of other people, which keeps you from feeling genuine affection. She wants you to work on taking the armor from your heart. She wants you to slow down. This is what she says. Slow down, my dear. Stop the smell of the roses. She says you have many distractions in your life that is keeping you from doing so. Simple is the way to go. There is more to life than work. When was the last time you did something for yourself? She also said she wants you to create more romance in your marriage. Your husband is the link to your healing. Try to see your dad as a child. He still is hurt without love or support, living in chaos. If you can see him this way, it may be easier for you not to judge and maybe you can forgive. She also mentioned that something will be coming to an end she didn't tell me what it was, but something will be coming to an end. It may be a project. Um, it may be maybe a practice or something you've been doing, but something will be coming to an end. She also mentioned that you will encounter a new spiritual union. It could be through a new friendship. It could th be through a new project or an endeavor. In order for it to manifest, you must continue your elevation and your conscious awareness in order for it to come into your life. She also wants you to continue on the path of growth and evolution spiritually as much as you give to others. She said, give some of that back to yourself. Balance is your key. And that was it. Yay, that was it. <laughs> That's awesome. That was awesome. She's my new favorite now. So. And wait, here, here I go. Look, when I was reading, um, you may encounter a spiritual union and friendship. I'm like, look, look, Jen. Oh, yay. 
I was writing. Yay! Oh my God, that's so fun. I know. I was like, what the hell is she talking about? <laughs> You're all like, hello. <laughs> Maybe it might be me. I don't know. Yay! That would be so great. Okay, okay. You're so cute. Well, definitely some of that. I mean, some of it, I'm like, oh, come on. <laughs> right? But they're so real. They're so real and wrong. You're like, okay. Oh, okay. But it's true. Right. And, well, yeah. And some of it I've heard before, like, be more soft <laughs> and vulnerable. Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, there's other stuff, like, simple is the way, and I'm a minimalist. So that made me smile, like, okay. Good, 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 okay. But no, but then you think of all these other things that are happening in your life that pull you away from that, potentially, yeah. or yeah. in other ways, too. Oh, for sure. Be more trusting, you know, like, yes. there's, there's stuff like that. I'm like, it's not like the first time I've heard it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But I get, I get it. Yeah, you get it. You get it. So tell me this and tell your listeners, <laughs> what was this experience like with, with me, with this soul reading? What, what did you oh, I'm glad that you're asking me this now. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, well, I never know what to expect. And I'm always, um, because I don't send, I don't sign confidentiality. I don't have a contract, right, right. right, right. I ask my guests to be raw and vulnerable. So this is my way of showing that I'm willing to do the mm. same thing. Um, so I actually love that uncomfortable position yeah. because I want other people to be brave. Yeah. So I love that. And because I only get coached by people that I've had uh, and have been a guest, like I already feel like I know you. So mm -hmm. I come into this with a lot of enthusiasm. So yeah. for people, well, I was so excited. And we have, I mean, you know, we're taping, we're, we're recording this during COVID. So regardless of when people listen to, things continue to come up that make it difficult for us to meet. So with you and I today, we were scheduled and you couldn't meet because you were not feeling well. Right. And then I, I spilled a cup of coffee on my laptop yesterday. <laughs> So I had to figure, like, it wasn't hard. This isn't brain science here. But I had to figure out how to have this meeting with you and be able yeah. to have it and record it without having to reschedule it. So I think sometimes things pop up in life yeah. Yeah. that try to stop you from doing what you, you do. want to do yeah. and what you should do. So I was very determined to not allow that to happen. And um, it wasn't, it's always nerve-wracking because I don't know what to expect and I know I'm going to be raw. But it wasn't because I knew I was safe with you. Oh, good. Yeah. Yeah. So that's cool. how it felt. So for people that are wondering and curious, I mean, I, I just do it because it's so enlightening. And also I know that in any coaching session and soul reading is on a deeper, it's yeah. a little different than just like being coached in business or in marketing or something. Mm -hmm. that's, those are great. They're wonderful. But when you're talking about a deeper dive, um, you have to allow your your thought process and your emotions and your intuition over a few days and sometimes a couple of weeks after a session like this. Yes. So 
I want to know all the things right now, Deneen. Mm -hmm. But I know that there's going to be a percolation that happens without me even trying to percolate on That's it. Right. And shift. And if you're open to that, to not, it's not a one and done. It's not everything right now. That's right. Um, people will be more kind to themselves about this mm -hmm. process with you. Yes. So I know that and I'm kind to myself in that way, but for other people coming in, because it's wonderful, but it's not just about what people are seeing recorded right now. Yes. Then what is going, the shifts that are happening within them mm -hmm. over the next few days and few weeks. That's right. That's right. You raise a valid point and you're right. And that's what it does. It activates things. You know, and you do have this recording, just like the clients that I work with, they have the recording to reference. You know, they take notes, you know, and, and then when you look at the recording again, you're gonna you're gonna get something different out of it that you that you missed when you were actually just taking notes for the first time. And it's right. something that you can continue to reference and build on, you know, and, and like I said, it's really set up for you to start to move forward with your healing and actually have a blueprint of, okay, now I know what my karma is. I know what my wounds are. You can also start to identify your triggers, which we started to a little yeah. bit. And then your lessons. And so if you can, if you can have those things, that's huge because most people don't. Right. They don't have it. They, like I said, you don't have the language because you just don't. You know you you know where you grew up. You know what happened here, but you that's it. Like you haven't had time to unpack that, right? And there's a difference between looking at it from the eyes, the lens of a child to the lens of an adult. And I think you need to do both. Actually, when you say duality, a lot of that comes up for me. That I have to remember that it's okay to have my child, the little girl perspective mm -hmm. and the adult perspective, yes. and to try to marry those two. That yes. takes a lot of work. It does. Um, and in that, there's the anger and the frustration, and the, there's whatever the negative words are. But for me, this was great because even if some of it was a reiteration, I clearly needed to know that I needed that reiterated and other things were really, really new. So like, I know I sacrifice too much, but I'm not mindful of shadow and light. Oh, well, okay. So uh, it was awesome because it was a lot of new things and a lot of things where I'm like, I really need to pay more attention to this because it's come up multiple times. And mm -hmm. so I'm not paying enough attention to this. So I love it. Good. Good. It was so fun. I love all your notes and I love all of it. It's just like, I mean, people are just like, how do you do that? And I've been doing this since I was little. Well, I thought about that in the beginning when you started. I was like, Hold, because I, we've had our first interview. People should watch that one, listen to that one. Because I remember asking you in that, like, as a little kid, <laughs> what do you do with that information? Like, how, of course you shut it down. Of course. If you don't have anyone helping you and showing you and listening to you and seeing you, you have to shut it down. It is just overwhelming. It's too big. And like you said, I, who could articulate that? Not me. I was five when it started. Do you think I would have been able to say, oh, and by the way, I think I'm being prepared to be a shaman. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, all right. 
Okay. <laughs> right. I mean, it's so interesting. And, and I remember being 17 and in college and we all took the Myers-Briggs. It was a really, really great thing to do because it forced us at very young people to really mm -hmm. look at who we were in that right. way. Yes. And my number one, my number one um, profession, because it helped us decide, are we, are we looking into the correct profession and what other right. artists, was being a pastor. <gasps> right. And I knew right at that moment, I'm not going to be a pastor. Right, right, right. But I ended up having 18 kids. Yeah, yeah. And those may seem super different, except... Yeah. Yeah. Right. They're not. So I think it's interesting, you know, when you have someone from the outside like you looking at life and the situation without any baggage, without any bias, mm -hmm. without even knowing the information and mm -hmm. presenting this, because it's kind of, I mean, it's much bigger than being 17 and taking the Myers-Briggs, but it puts this all information out for me to disseminate. Mm -hmm. And then I can decide is that really the profession <laughs> or is it something very similar that looks a lot different? And yes. so you're doing that in a, such a different, deeper way. And I really appreciate that a lot. You're so welcome. I really, you know, I, I'm really honored that you would allow me to, to read your soul. You know, I don't, I don't take it for granted. You know, it's not something that I do, you know, just kind of haphazardly, you know, anytime someone gives me the honor and privilege to read and connect with their soul, you know, it, it truly is. It's like the greatest compliment that I could have, to be perfectly honest, because that's what I'm here to do. I'm actually living out my holy assignment, which is to help people um, greater, you know, just better understand their, their life and, and looking at their pain differently, giving it a new lens and actually empowering them to do something with the pain instead of just carry it. Yeah, well, that's good because it helps us to figure out where to put these things and how to assign them, and that's a lot easier. So thank you so You're much. You're so welcome. You're so welcome. Thank you for joining today. It's been a pleasure. You can find me at momof18.com and on social media platforms as momof18. A huge thank you to NGBN TV for sponsoring this podcast episode.